You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Father, thank you for, again, another opportunity to gather around your word. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, I thank you that your word is life and health to our spirits and to our bodies and our minds, Father. We thank you, Lord, that as we approach it, we believe for the Holy Spirit to minister to us. We thank you. Jesus said he is our teacher. He will bring revelation and insight into our lives. And Father, I thank you, Lord, tonight that all of us will receive light and revelation from your word. And Father, because of it, and Father, we thank you for it. We purpose in our hearts to receive it in advance, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this is uh, week number four in our series talking about understanding the times and the seasons of the Lord. And uh, basically, if you want to summarize or maybe put another title on this, uh, you could call it walking or living in the will of God, uh, because that's what this is all about is is walking in and, and finding and pursuing after the will of God. You know, we've kind of been basing our, our scripture on the the text from Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, and I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus uh, rebuked the religious leaders and said, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked uh, that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. And he said, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And so Jesus was rebuking them because they didn't understand the times and the seasons. And as I mentioned to you, the Greek word uh, for seasons there is an opportune time. It's a moment. It's a specific moment that God has planned and purposed and uh, he designs and desires to do something in that moment that is very supernatural and profound. And uh, But we have to be willing and, and able to be able to discern those and when they are happening or when they're going to happen so that we don't miss out on them. And, and again, I, I go back to what, what the Lord dropped in my spirit as I was preparing this and praying what direction he wanted us to go in and he basically said this. He said, my people don't understand or are to the degree that he desires for us to understand the times and the seasons that the Lord has prepared for us. And so he wants us to walk in those things. We uh, have been also looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified Bible. And it says this, look carefully then how you walk live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the very most of the time. 
buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. And again, I remind you, you know, the Bible, when it says something for us to do, then it is within our ability in Christ to be able to do that. So if he says, don't be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is, then we are able to be able to do that and able to receive it and walk in it. And so, um, you know, again, he makes those opportunities available to us. Let's go over to Colossians chapter one, verses nine and 10. Again, we've covered this every week, but I want to keep, keep hitting on this. Uh, Colossians 1, 9 and 10, and Paul writing, and I'm reading from the Amplified again. It says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking that you may be filled with the full, deep and clear knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, in comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and in understanding and discernment of spiritual things. Verse 10, that you may walk, live, and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and desiring to please him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing and increasing in and by the knowledge of God with fuller, deeper, clear insight, acquaintance, and recognition. So again, Paul is saying that we can pray and we can believe God that we are filled to the full with the deep and clear knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you and I can understand what the will of God is. And again, there are two main areas, the will of God for your personal life and the will of God for uh, the body of Christ, the, the times and the seasons that are happening in the earth. The Bible gives us some, some insight into those things. And so he is saying that he wants us to fully understand what his will is and to um, not be caught off guard, to be able to, like what the one translation says, or the one verse um, that says, uh, in it was back in Ephesians, um, to walk to and live purposefully and worthily and accurately. And uh, so, uh, you know, let me say this to you. We're running out of time to live inaccurate lives, okay? We're running out of time. The, the Lord Jesus is coming back, and we need to be about doing some things on purpose. You know, a lot of times we we stumble on the will of God by accident, and that's not the way God wants us to live. He wants us to know what the will of God is and to do and accomplish some things for him on purpose, and we can do that. And uh, so praise God. Those of you who are following on the notes that printed them off, jump over with me to uh, page five, and uh, I'm going to skip some of that in the middle and come back to it. Um, and then we'll pick up from there. Uh, but go over with me to Romans chapter 12. Now, again, we're talking about understanding the times and the seasons, understanding what the will of God is, not only for our lives, but for the lives of our families, our businesses, our, our, our church, all those things. 
God wants us to understand what the will of God is. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. And uh, so the King James, the New King James says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, the very first word of verse two is and. So that means this is connected to what he just said. So he going on, Paul said this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I'm going to interject the little word so, so, S-O, so, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, okay? So um, let me read it from the Amplified. The Amplified says, do not be conformed to this world or this age fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideas, ideals and its new attitude, and here's what I'm wanting to get to, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. So in starting on this journey of understanding the times and the seasons of discerning the Lord's will, what is the will of God for my life? What is the direction that God wants me to go in? Here's a, Paul gives us a very, very primary key here, and that is this, renewing your mind is a primary way that you will discern the times and seasons of the Lord, or also known as the perfect will of God for your life. So renewing your mind is, is probably uh, one of the first crucial steps to discerning this. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to make some statements and I'm going to just make some rhetorical questions, you know, because there are a lot of people in the body of Christ that believe what I'm getting ready to say. And that is this, they believe that everything that is happening in the earth is the will of God. You know, there's a lot of Christians that believe that everything happens, happens at the plan and the design of God. And if that's the case, then why do we need to do what Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and that is to renew our mind so that we can prove what the will of God is. If, if everything that is happening in the earth is the will of God, then what Paul should have said was, is just sit back and accept everything that happens because everything that happens is the will of God. No, he said, renew your minds so that you can prove, you can tell, you can test and determine what is the perfect will of God. And again, I remind you of what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 17. He said, but uh, therefore don't be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. Now, here's the way a lot of people determine what the will of God is. So let's say somebody comes to me and they say, will you please pray for me that I will be healed? And, uh, and then they end it with, if it's the will of God. 
So what they're really saying is this, that if I get healed when you pray, then it must be the will of God. And if I don't get healed when you pray, then it must not be the will of God. And believe it or not, there's a lot of Christians that that's the way that they function. And, and that is not the way that you determine what the will of God is. You know, jumping ahead to the punchline, the, you know, one of the primary ways that you're going to determine what the will of God is, is what does God's word say? And in the subject of healing, we know what God's word says. God's word says that Jesus took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases, and with his stripes, we are healed. So we can uh, boldly and confidently establish on the word of God that the will of God for humanity is that they be healed. Just like Second Peter says that it's not the will of God that any man should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. It is the same will of God for everyone to be saved. You know, uh, saying that if I don't get healed, it must not be the will of God. Let me put it in this context, and it makes it sound a whole lot more foolish when you say it this way, and that is this. Well, if, if, I, don't go, if I don't get saved and I die and go to hell, then it must not have been the will of God for me to get saved. And see, that's foolishness to us because we know that Christ died for all. He paid the price for everybody. He established the will of God for every human being. And just because you might not receive it and walk in it does not mean it's not the will of God for your life. And so what we cannot do is base our perception of the will of God and what is the will of God and what is not the will of God on human experience. Okay, so uh, go over with me to Colossians chapter four, please. Colossians chapter four, and uh, look at verse 12. Colossians chapter four and verse 12. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Colossae, and he's, uh, he's concluding the, the letter and he says, Epaphras, verse 12, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Notice this, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So Epaphras was play, praying for these believers that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Well, if the will of God automatically happens in everyone's life, then why did he have to pray for that to happen? Why did he have to pray for the people to be able to stand perfectly and complete in the will of God if it happens automatically? Well, the tr truth of the matter is it doesn't. So go over with me, go back with me to Matthew chapter six. Matthew's gospel, the sixth chapter. And uh, I'm going to quote uh, a little portion out of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's actually not the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer he model he gave to his disciples. But in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, and probably all of us could quote the Lord's Prayer, but he said right smack in the middle of the prayer in verse 10, Matthew 6, 10, he said this, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if, if the will of God is automatically happening in the earth, then Jesus uh, messed up here in inserting that phrase in the middle of the Lord's prayer. No, he said, pray this. He said, pray that the will of God would happen in the earth just as though and the same way that it happens in heaven. So I'm going to say this to you. If it is happening in heaven, then it is the will of God on earth. If it is not happening in heaven, then it is not the will of God for the earth. Based on that one phrase that Jesus said, let me say that again. If it's not happening in heaven, then it must not be the will of God for it to be happening in the earth. So let me ask you a question. Is there any uh, sickness and cancer and disease in heaven? Well, the answer to that is no, there's not. Uh, so if it's not the will of God for it to take place in heaven, it's not the will of God for it to take place in the earth. Well, somebody says, well, why then does it happen? Well, there's a, a curse that was released in the earth because of Adam's sin. There's an adversary that is uh, loose in the earth that, that wants to uh, bring harm and hurt to humanity. Uh, but as far as it coming and by and through the hand of God, it is absolutely not. You're there, Matthew, go over with me to John's gospel. And I know you know these scriptures, but it doesn't hurt to look at them again. John chapter 10, verse 10. John 10, verse 10. Jesus said this, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Okay, so again, Jesus said that the adversary, the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to perfectly fulfill the will of God and to bring life, and not just life, but abundant life. Okay, so let me say this to you. If what happened in your life stole something from you, then it was not the perfect will of God for your life. If what happened in your life killed something, not necessarily a person, but maybe a relationship, a death, or something like that, then it was not the perfect will of God. If what happened destroyed, brought destruction in your life, then it was not the perfect will of God. So what I'm wanting us to see is this. You know, think about this for just a moment. Um, the devil's not an idiot, okay? So think about this with me. If, if he can deceive people into believing that all the good and bad things that happen in the earth happen as the will of God, then imagine what he then is able to get away with in the earth and people will just attribute it over to God. People will just say that's God doing that. God is not in the earth causing hurricanes and tornadoes and destroying people's lives and, and causing little kids to be 
struck down by storms and things like that. That is not the will of God, and that is not the plan of God. Okay, so we must clearly understand that. So the devil, because he's duped people into believing that, he, he can get away with some of the darkest and most heinous things. Uh, to He can get away with that, doing that to humanity, because people automatically attribute it to the hand of God. And to the religious mindset, when somebody like me stands up and says, no, that is not the hand of God, well, that just flies in the face of what people have been taught in religion, that God is all-powerful. God, and I'm going to use a word that people misuse, but God is sovereign. So everything that happens in the earth uh, must pass through his hands or, or he gives permission for it and so forth and so on. And what that is, is a distortion of the truth of the word of God. Is God sovereign? Yes, he's sovereign. He is the most powerful being in all the universe, but in his sovereignty, he turned this planet and the dominion and control of this planet over to a man named Adam, who in turn turned it over to the devil. And the devil has been loose in the earth ever since, stealing, killing, and destroying. All right? But everything that happens in the earth does not happen uh, because it is God's plan. So apparently, there is something that you and I have to do in order for the will of God to come to pass. And we've looked at a number of scriptures that have said, we must pray and, and believe God to move in the earth to uh, see the, the, the will of God, the perfect will of God carried out. Now, here's what you're going to have to do if you're going to discern what the perfect will of God is for your life or anything else. And, and I'm going to repeat this a couple of times because it's so very important. You and I must get our mind renewed so that the world and its ways no longer have any input into what you discern is the perfect will of God for your life. Okay, this, this is what we've been laying the groundwork for in the first three sessions of this, and that is this. You are a born-again believer, forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. You have the written word of God laying before you. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to cut off the input that the world wants to have into our lives to tell us what the will of God is for our lives and look to the one who is the supplier of that will, who is, whose will it is, and let him minister that to us and let him lead and guide us. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to not allow, you know, and I shared this with you before, but don't allow what happens in the natural in your life determine to you what the will of God is for your life. You know, if, if we went by everything that happened in our lives and said, well, it must not be the will of God for me to do this. You know, if that was the case, the apostle Paul was an abject failure in ministry because that guy faced hardship and persecution everywhere he went. 
And so if that was the hand of God, then, you know, if, and if he was listening to other people and other sources of information, they would have told him, you know, Paul, maybe you're not in the will of God. Cause you know, when you're in the will of God, everything runs smooth. Everything just is absolutely perfect and peaceful all around you. And we know that that is not the truth. Okay. So, uh, you, you've got to get your mind renewed because then you will be able to filter out all the other voices that are trying to tell you what the will of God is. Okay. And it's extremely important. Now I'm going to say this to you. If you are unsure what the will of God is, you're two things. Number one, you're unstable. And number two, you're unable. Now, what do I mean by that? You're unstable. The Bible says in James chapter one, that, that when we waffle back and forth between two mindsets, James said this, he said, you're unstable in all your ways. And don't let that person think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. And you're unable because you are not going to accomplish anything for God and for his kingdom as long as you are unsure what the will of God is for your life. Now, here's another big key. If you are unsure, you're not going to know what to fight for and what to fight against. And, uh, you know, a lot of Christians are like that. They're resisting God and submitting themselves to the devil. And it should be the exact opposite. We should be submitting ourselves to God and resisting the devil. But because we don't know which is which, we, we, we mess it up. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't know what to allow in our lives. And we don't know what to reject from our lives. And, and you know, uh, I, I've got some shocking news for you, maybe if you don't know this, but God isn't going to do that for you. God is not going to take authority over the devil in your life and run the devil out of your life and get him to stop harassing you and causing you problems. God will not do that. He has given you and me the name of Jesus and given us the power and authority to resist the devil and with the promise that when we do, the devil will flee from us. But again, you've got to know what to accept and you've got to know what to resist and reject. All right. So you've got to know what to receive into your life and you've got to know what you need to put a wall up and say, no, I'm not having that in my life. Okay. Now, and you surely won't believe for the things that God has for you in your life um, when you don't believe that it's the will of God for you to experience those things. Okay, so we've got to have clear understanding of this. Go over with me to Romans chapter 4, and this is a verse I've taught on a lot, but I want to touch on it again. Romans chapter 4, and verse 21. Romans chapter 4, and verse 21. I'm going to read verse 20 and 21. This is Paul talking about Abraham. And it says this, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong 
in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, now notice this, and being fully convinced, the old King James says, persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, I looked up what this uh, word fully convinced or persuaded means, and it means this, that you are completely assured and convinced. Uh, you're entirely accomplished in that. In other words, um, nobody could talk you out of it. When you know what God has said and what God has declared for your life, and you are fully convinced of that thing, then nobody will be able to talk you out of it. Nobody will be able to take it from you. And the challenge is this, is that a large portion of us, we get excited about things that we read and hear from the word of God. But when the rubber meets the road, we're not fully convinced that it is what God wants for our lives. And if there's a question mark there, I can promise you the devil is going to take advantage of that question mark. He's going to take advantage of where you are not fully persuaded or fully convinced. Now go over with me to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And again, another familiar scripture, but I, you know, I just have been diving into it a little bit deeper. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul said this, fight the good fight of faith. And then if, if you're writing notes and you, you can mark in your Bible, uh, in the New King James, it says, lay hold on eternal life, uh, to which you were also called and to confess the good confession in the, in the presence of many witnesses. You know, and I, and I looked in at, at some of the words here, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Let me start with the phrase eternal life that it does not mean just going to heaven. It's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, okay? And what zoe means in the Greek language is life as God knows it, the God kind of life. So I would submit to you, it's bigger than just going to heaven. Think about uh, the life of God, the, the, the life that God has. You know, God is so full of life that there is no death in him whatsoever. There, there, it, there is nothing dying uh, around God because he's full of life. Um, you know, that, that word's almost too big to describe in English. Um, you know, the scripture the same word is used in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That, that's Zoe, the Zoe life of God. It's absolute life. It is uh, all of, 
everything about the curse removed. It's all death removed. And notice what he said in first Timothy, he said, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on this God kind of life. Now, what's interesting to me is a couple of things. Number one, Timothy is a believer. Paul is writing a letter to him as he's, he's pastoring the church at Ephesus. And Paul tells him, he said, you're going to have to do something. Um, these things are not automatic. Experiencing the life of God in your life is not automatic. There are two things you're going to have to do. Number one, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. Now, you're not going to fight flesh and blood for it, but you're going to have to drive a stake in the ground and say, this is what I believe. This is what the word of God has declared over my life. And I am going to receive it and I am going to walk in it. And nobody is going to be able to take that from me. This is what Jesus bought and paid for. This is what belongs to me. And then you're going to have to be willing to, to stand your ground. Now, Jesus said in Mark chapter four, we won't turn there, but Jesus said in Mark chapter four that the, 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 the thief comes immediately to try and steal the word out of your heart. When you hear the word of God and the seed of God's word gets sown into the soil of your heart, Jesus said that the adversary will come immediately to try and steal that word out of your heart. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to drive or, 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 you know, just put your foot down, so to speak, and, and be willing to fight for what belongs to you. That's the good fight of faith. You know, I'm reminded, and I can't remember the guy's name, or I don't recall right off the top of my head, but there is the story in the Old Testament about one of David's men. He was one of David's close 30 men uh, that were, you know, with him all throughout uh, when Saul was chasing him and so forth. And uh, it, it, there's a note that's made about this guy that he had a, a, a bean patch, uh, a bean field where he had, was growing beans. And every season, the Philistines would come and would steal his harvest. And finally, he got out there in the middle of his bean field and he basically said, enough is enough and I'm not allowing the Philistines to steal my beans anymore. And he stood his ground. And, you know, again, I don't recall how many he killed, but defending his bean patch, he killed a large number of Philistine soldiers who came to steal what belonged to him. And this is an example for us. You're going to have to defend your bean patch. You're going to have to put a stake in the ground and say, no, this belongs to me. Jesus bought and paid for it. And I refuse to let anybody, the devil or anybody else, steal this from me any longer. So you're going to have to make that decision. You and I have to make that determination. And then Paul said this, you know, in addition to fighting the good fight of faith, lay hold on this God quality of life. Lay hold of it. I looked in the the Greek language, what the phrase lay hold of, and it's actually the Greek word that we get the word 
epilepsy from, which I thought was very interesting. So you think about what epilepsy does, you know, uh, before it's treated medically and so forth. And a person that suffers with epilepsy, if it's a severe case, you know, they can be minding their own business and all of a sudden the epilepsy will cause them to have a seizure. Well, the reason it's called a seizure is because that disease seizes and takes control of their bodies until, you know, the medicine breaks through or something happens and the seizure ends, okay? And so this Greek word, Paul used this Greek word here because he's telling us that we're going to have to seize hold of what belongs to us. And just like that disease likes to grab people and make them, you know, thrash about and, and, you know, uncontrollably where the people can't control it, you're going to have to seize upon what belongs to you, seize that eternal life, that God quality of life and refuse to let it go. There is nothing passive about this word at all. And so you and I are going to have to get aggressive. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that if you're going to walk in the will of God, the perfect will of God for your life, once you know what that is, number one, you're going to have to be fully convinced about that. Number two, you're going to have to be willing to defend it. And number three, you're going to have to grab a hold of that and refuse to let it go in spite of who likes it, who doesn't like it. And, and I can promise you this, and I can tell you this based on all authority in the word and experience. When you begin to walk in the blessing of God and God begins to move in your life, you will be persecuted for it. There will people be people who will not like it. And so you're going to have to make up your mind. You know, you're not mean, you're not um, obstinate, you know, every, you, you're kind and courteous, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what they think, whoever they are, you're going to walk in it, you're going to live in it, and you're going to have what God has provided for you. And you're going to have to make up your mind that you're not going to be moved by the opinions of people. Let people think what they want to think. You know, you're the one that's living in the blessing of God. Now, here's what I'll tell you what will happen. And this has happened to me too. You know, there will be people that'll persecute you, make fun of you, harass you and all that kind of stuff. But I promise you this, when they need prayer about something going on in their life, they will come to you because they know there is something in your life. Of course, we know it's the word of God and the power of God but there's something in your life that is working and they are watching it and they're seeing it work and, and they're, they're wanting it to work in their lives as well. So let them make fun, let them exhibit their, their, you know, various opinions or whatever you keep doing what God tells you to do and walking in the blessing of God. So, uh, you know, be convinced of that thing, fight for it. Don't let the, the enemy come and steal your beans anymore. And then lay hold on that eternal life. Refuse to let it go and don't quit with it. All right. So go back with me to Romans chapter 12. 
I, uh, you can tell I'm a little passionate about this. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, I'm going to show you what the major key to this is, okay? So it's found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read the verses to you again from the New King James. Paul said this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the number one thing you're going to have to do if you want to walk and live in the perfect will of God. It is going to require you to sacrifice yourself. In other words, make yourself available to it. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and it might seem hard, okay? But why would God bother to reveal his plan to you if deep in your heart you aren't really willing to do it? If you haven't become that living sacrifice, if you haven't said, Lord, uh, you know, like Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, not my will, but yours be done in my life. I can promise you, God will not reveal his will to you because he knows what's in your heart. He knows you really aren't willing to walk it out. You really don't want his will in your life. You're just giving him lips, lip service, okay? And, um, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah, in chapter 1 and verse 19, he said, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Notice there's two parts to that. Did you know you can be willing, or excuse me, you can obey God, but not be willing in your heart? You, you can walk out some certain things. You know, <laughs> I'm going to use me as an example. Um, you know, there have been times when um, I knew God wanted me to do something and I obeyed, but deep in my heart, I really didn't want to do it. I didn't want to obey him. I, I, you know, I went through the motions, but here's the thing. The verse says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. It takes both for you to be qualified, to be able to eat the good of the land. So if there is something that God has told you to do and deep in your heart, you might be going through the motions and doing it, then what you need, what you need to do is you need to repent. And listen, it doesn't take a, you know, a week or two to get willing. It just takes a simple decision in your heart to say, you know what, Lord, I am willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do. Now, here's why we don't uh, want to be willing is because we're afraid God's going to send us to Africa or to some foreign mission field that we really don't want to go to. And so we really, really, really aren't interested in doing the will of God sometimes. But you know what? Here's what I know, uh, found out about walking with the Lord. If he calls you to do something like that, he'll plant a desire down on the inside of your heart. He'll give you the desire to want to obey him and fulfill that. All right. So just know that. So the phrase, uh, look at that verse again, in verse two, he says, so that you may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. The phrase, the perfect will of God, simply means this, the complete and entire will of God. Okay, so I'm going to shoot a, a myth down here real quick, okay? There is the myth that says, you know, there's the perfect will of God, there's the permissive will of God, and, and you know, there's two or three variations of the will of God, and then there's being out of the will of God. Well, no, I want to submit to you that based on what this verse says, there is the complete and entire will of God. There is, by implication, an incomplete will of God, and then there's out of the will of God. So if you know, if you just make up your mind, you're not going to do what God wants you to do, then you're out of the will of God. So let's talk about the other two. The perfect and complete or entire will of God is when you totally surrender and you say, you know what? Lord, I am going to do whatever it is that you want me to do, no matter what it is. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. The incomplete will of God is exactly what I just described to you, and that is this. I might be going through the motions of obeying God, but my heart is not in it, and that is incomplete. God is looking for us to obey him completely. Okay, so the reason that God does this, okay, is because God will never force you to be in his complete will. God has said one, you know, some people say God can do anything. Well, really, he can't. You know, God can't lie. God, God will not lie. The other thing that he cannot do is override your free choice. So he will not force you to walk in his complete will of God. So let me say it to you this way. You're either in or you're out, okay? There's, there's not a whole bunch of options there. You don't get A, B, C, D, or none of the above. It's either you're in and you say, yes, Lord, or you're out and you suffer the consequences. And I can tell you this. The, the most dangerous place on earth is outside of the will of God. The most safe, peaceful, prosperous, and healthy place for you is in the will of God. Now, here's what you can't do, is, as I'm, and I alluded to this earlier, you cannot judge whether you're in the will of God by what is going on around you. Again, if that was the case, then the Apostle Paul never did get in the will of God. Because again, everywhere he turned, he faced opposition to the gospel, he faced persecution, and so forth. He knew, he had that full assurance down on the inside of him that he was in the will of God and let the circumstances do and say whatever they're going to say, I know I'm in the will of God. Okay, Now, let's go back to... Um, what Jesus said, go back with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter, our foundation scripture, please. Matthew chapter 16, and look at verse 3. What is it that really Jesus was addressing here? What is it 
that got Jesus agitated with these people? Okay, was it because of the overarching fact that they couldn't discern the times or the seasons? What was it? Well, let me read it to you again. Matthew 16, verse 3. He said, and you know, you say in the morning, it'll be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. The contemporary English version says this, you can't understand what is happening now. The uh, Passion Translation says this, you are absolutely clueless in reading the obvious signs of the times. What is it that had blinded these religious leaders to the fact that they could not see? I mean, listen, they had the very will of God in person, in flesh and blood, standing right in front of them. But they couldn't discern that Jesus was the manifest will of God walking in the earth and they couldn't discern what he, what God was doing in the earth. Why is it? Here's why. Because they were not willing to submit to it. Okay? Why did they resist Jesus the way that they did? You know why? Because he wasn't packaged the way that they thought he would be packaged. In other words, they their Messiah was going to come in and be this glorious ruler you know, and, and uh, rule and reign and do all that. And Jesus will one day, but that's not what he came in the earth to do at that moment. And here's the thing. The scriptures clearly told them close to 400 prophecies in the Old Testament described exactly what was standing in front of them, but they couldn't see what God was doing at the moment. And here's why, because in their hearts, they weren't willing to submit to it. They weren't willing to say, you know what? Maybe God's smarter than we are. Maybe God knows better than I do. Maybe God has a way of being able to do something that I might not fully wrap my brain around. And so because they were not willing to submit to it, they were blinded to it. And I would submit to us that maybe sometimes we're not aware of the will of God in our lives because deep down, we're truly not willing to submit to it. We're not willing to truly say, yes, Lord. Okay. So go over with me to James chapter four, please. James chapter four. Now keep in mind what I just said, why these religious leaders could not see the will of God at this moment, okay? James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. James 4, 6 and 7. James writing, he said this, but God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, he said, God resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But notice what's required. There's two things that are required 
if you're going to begin to discern what the will of God is. Number one, faith. Number two, humility. Faith and humility are going to work hand in hand. And if there is an element of pride where you are, you know, willing to say, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fully obey God. And again, you might not be saying that out loud, but <laughs> how many of you know, you know, David or, or the Lord told Samuel rather when uh, Samuel went to go to anoint David, he said, man looks on the outside. God looks at the heart. God can see what is truly in your heart. And if there is a part of your heart where you're saying, nah, you know, I'm really not willing to do that, then guess what? You're, you're setting yourself up for what he said here in James 4, 6, and 7. God resists the proud. Now, that doesn't mean God beats you up and, you know, does all kinds of bad things to you. What it does is he simply, um, I, I guess the best way to say it is, leaves you alone. He resists you in the sense of, He's not going to give you any further light and illumination and revelation as to the will of God for your life until you are willing to, to say whatever you want, Lord. You know, I can remember, you know, after I got out of Bible school and I've been active in ministry for a while and, and working with some other ministries and things like this, the thing that I had to do was because for years I labored with this thing down in my heart where I was only always kind of on the lookout and on the alert for what I was called to do. Meaning I was always desiring and wanting to, almost to a fault to step into what I believed God had called me to do. And, um, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that on the surface until, listen to this, until God puts you in a position where he wants you to serve someone else's vision, where he wants you to serve what somebody else is called to do, okay? And, and if you go into that relationship, you know, on the surface, you look willing, but in your heart, you're saying this to God, God, when am I going to get my own? When am I going to get what you've called me to do? When am I going to get what I really believe is rightfully mine? What you are doing, that's an element of pride. And I can promise you, you're only delaying what God has called you to do. And so I, I remember, um, you know, I was serving in, a, in another man's ministry and I was, you know, going through the motions and I was, you know, I was working hard. I was doing what was expected of me, but there was this thing down here in my heart to where the question was always, okay, God, you know, here it is year number three. When am I going to get mine, Lord? When, when is promotion coming from me? And, and you know what, you know what I heard? Crickets, nothing. And finally, one day, you know, I, I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but sooner or later I catch on. And uh, I finally said, you know what, God, I know that if I stand before you and my heart is right, and, and if you the rapture was to take place and I was to go home and be with the Lord, if my heart was right, 
then I would get the same reward as if I had been functioning in the ministry you had called me to do, you know, for years and years and years. So what I had to do is I had to come to the place to where I was willing to put what I thought was the will of God for that moment for my life, what I wanted to do, and be willing to lay that aside forever if necessary and serve this other man's ministry with all of my heart, with every fiber of my being, not always looking for where is mine, when am I going to get mine, instead looking at what can I do to serve and further what God has called this person to do. And you know what happened? It wasn't too long after that, that promotion came. The reason being is because because of my always having that question, always saying, Lord, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do this. But my heart really isn't willing because I want what, what I want. I want what I see myself doing. And you know what? When I got to the place where I was finally willing to say, you know what? I don't care if I ever step into my own ministry I will help this person accomplish whatever it is that God's called them to accomplish. That is when promotion came, or it was not long after, that's when promotion came and laid the groundwork for what I'm doing today. And so what I'm saying to you is, is that if we're going to follow after, if we're going to walk in the perfect will of God for our lives, then we're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to be in faith. Once we know what that is, we're going to have to be willing to fight for it, and we're going to have to lay hold of it and walk it out for God to be able to be able to carry us on in what he's carried us to. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.